Hello and welcome to the Bedroom Studios podcast, the podcast where we talk about what goes on behind the scenes in a musician's world and bridge the industry gap by bringing their stories, expertise and advice to early career artists. Subscribe to join us for a fun chat about life as a creative person, tips and tricks for pursuing an artistic career, navigating the music industry and more. I am your host Emma and today I will be interviewing Nicholas Burgess. Nicholas Burgess is a Boston-based musician and artist who creates music that blends crunchy guitars with buzzy synths, ranging from spooky Zolo to gloomy electronica. Burgess's latest release is Creepy Zeepy, a spooky concept album following up his previous spooky concept album, All Night Midnight Monster Party. Previous works include Xmas Gold, a holiday record with heavy electronic influences, The Diamond Door, a distorted pop rock EP, and Electric Brain, Electric Silence, a thoughtful collection of synthetic sounds. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bedroom Studios podcast. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really excited. No problem. I I am too. Awesome. How I usually like to start out is by um, asking my guests about their musical journey and how it started and how it led to where you are now. Um, I didn't really play much music at all until, um, I, I guess I kind of did. Uh, I started playing music in high school, but I wasn't like playing out or anything. I was just like um, writing songs or practicing. And I had like a band that never really, uh, never really played a full song. We just kind of like got, you know, I had practices that we like would mostly just hang out or like not really even jam, but just kind of like play music that didn't go anywhere. And then uh, when I went to college, I met people that I started playing music with. I met um, a friend, uh, Mike Gintz, that I started playing in like a real band with after after school and not after school like that day but like after we get out of college and then um excuse me i've been in a few different bands over time you know playing out locally and uh doing different music projects and then about a little over 10 years ago i started doing uh solo music and when i started doing that i was doing like recording projects and playing uh playing out and then that turned into doing more and more just like recording and less playing live. And um, I'm still in a band with Mike and we do stuff. He also does his own electronic stuff. And then I, at some point, I guess it would have been like 2017 or so, something like that. I started also doing um, podcast music. So I do like theme songs for podcasts and stuff like that. And, uh, I really started focusing on the on the recording aspect of it and uh and recorded music and I played the last time I played a show was like just before the pandemic um but I haven't really done anything like that since except unless like playing like live on the radio and stuff like that counts but I don't have like a band right now that could actually like play a show if someone offered I wouldn't have people to do that with but mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still doing a ton of different recording uh, things, like my own music and music with Mike. That's awesome. So you just put out an album recently, a Halloween mm-hmm. album. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. Uh, well, I did one last year, 
I'll go back even further. I did. Yeah, sure. I did a, a Christmas album in 2018, and I thought I'd like to like do a Halloween one because the Christmas one was you know kind of well received compared to some other things I'd done. So I thought, well, I'll, maybe I'll do a Halloween one, and I was writing songs for it, but slowly, and I didn't really uh, commit to it until the end of 2021. I started writing a bunch of songs for it. I think I did like 30, 31, 32. And we cut that down to the album that came out about a year ago that was called All Night Midnight Monster Party that had 13 songs on it, uh, came out. And for me, it had like a really good reception. Um, And that left, there were still like 16 or 17 songs, I guess, that didn't make the album. And there were a few that I really wanted to put out. So I thought, well, this halloween i'll do another one um and i first i thought it was going to be a little smaller like four or five tracks but as it was coming together i thought well i can make this a little longer and like pull this out to album length um so i used some of those old songs and then wrote a few new ones and then a few weeks ago we put out a album called creepy zeepy that is seven songs about half of them were from um the previous sessions that we finished up and then about half were all new. So where where did the the name come from? What was the inspiration behind that? The name came from um, one of the songs on the album is called Creepies. And it was originally going to be an EP. So it's just a different spelling of Creepies EP. Um, Oh, so I love that. (laughs) I guess it's not really technically true anymore because it's not an EP because, um, According to the official definitions of like Spotify and Apple Music, it's an album because it's seven tracks instead of six, but it's pretty much an EP. It's pretty short. So that's the uh, secret meaning of it. I love that. I, I, I just really love puns in general. And so that, <laughs> yeah. that just makes me very happy. I love it. And where did your, uh, I guess, inspiration for your musical style come from? Was it just you just really liked that sort of like alt rock type of vibe. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I like a lot of different kinds of things and I've done um, albums and projects in different styles, um, but it kind of took a long time to figure out what, I mean, I still don't really know, but figure out what I was good at and what I, um, you know, had my own spin on. I'll often hear things that I think, well, I should do something like this, but it's not realistic because I wouldn't know what I was doing. But, you know, I grew up liking alternative rock music. And, um, yeah, I've, like, the first stuff I learned to play on guitar was stuff like The Cure and bands like that. And then I would, uh, you know, I'd try to do stuff like sound like Weezer or whatever for a while. Um, and then I also discovered that I liked doing electronic stuff. Um, so I incorporated a lot of that. Um, but so I guess part of my style and part of the style is just like my limitations. Like I'm not a very great guitar player or a great singer or anything. So it kind of puts a limit on the kind of style that I can play. So, I mean, I get other people to play stuff sometimes, but it does keep things relatively simple. Nice. I could practice more, I guess, but I don't. <laughs> I feel I feel the same way. 
about where there's just for my own voice there are certain genres that i just naturally sing better than others yeah well you find like that especially after you try it for a little while that you i mean you have your a voice that you can't really change so once you find like what it sounds good doing like that's probably what you should be doing I mean, even if you want you know a if I really wanted to be in like a Backstreet Boys band, I couldn't because I I just can't do that. But um, it's better to just embrace what you can do and try mm-hmm. to do it as best as you can. So you make a lot of music, which is really well, cool. Um, <laughs> I guess. You did that. I'd say. I'd feel- say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it does. Comp- when I look at other what other people do, it feels like I do. But also, it feels like it's like. It, I mean, I look at it and it's like, oh, it's 12 songs a year. It, you know, it should be more than that. But I guess it's more than most people do. Yeah. You know what I mean? When yeah. You're in no, it, I it doesn't feel like it's fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have, can you sort of go through your process of how, how you make the songs and what your writing process yeah. is? Yeah, sure. Uh, so... Uh, for at least for my own solo music, if it's with like a band or something, it'll be totally different because I'd be collaborating more. But if it's for my own things, usually I'll have like in my mind, like a couple projects that I want to do. So maybe like over the next year or two years or three years or whatever, I think, well, I'd like to do an album that sounds like this, or I'd like to do a project like this. And then, um, when I'm writing, maybe I'll get like a small idea for a song just a part of a song or a title or something. I usually like will write down a list of titles or lyric ideas and I'll have like a little notebook or at least like some page of these things. And then I'll start recording demos. And usually the way I do a demo is I'll try to get something that sounds like a listenable song in one sitting. So it doesn't have to be like good or even like the verses don't all have to be different or anything like that. But it should have a beginning and an ending and someone could listen to it and it would sound like a song. And I self-record those. So I'll end up with, um, I don't know, let's say for whatever album project I'm doing or something, I'll have like 20 or 30 songs. Like I said, for the last album, I had about 30. Then I'll have people listen to them. I'll listen to them and we'll try to decide which ones are good and which ones are not as good. And then once I've decided, well, maybe I'll use these eight, then I go back and I don't usually re-record. I'll just work off that demo. So I'll replace the guitar and then I'll replace the bass and I'll replace the vocals. And it might end up with almost nothing from the demo, but that's always what I'm working from. And I'll I'll work on those as they get recorded. So, you know, the vo- the lyrics, excuse me, the lyrics might not be done until the very last minute or I might not know what the bass is going to be until uh, my bass player comes and plays on it or whatever but the songs kind of evolve as they're recorded and it might take you know six months of recording all these songs Um, but the writing really is kind of going on the whole time and then when the when the mix is done the song is done and um, then I'm preparing to release it so it's a long writing process but Usually the basis of the song comes about in like 
one one sitting or one session. And there's a lot of tweaking over time. Mm. That's cool because I usually, for me, I usually write on like an instrument, like guitar, piano, mm-hmm. and I finish the song, and then that's when I sort of think about. Um, if I decide to record it, that's when I think about all those production choices. But yeah. I feel like the trap for that is that a lot of your songs end up sounding the same when it <laughs> kind of goes the same way. <laughs> well, yeah, what I'll do often, I'll take um, when I'm writing, if I'm writing at least for like a rock music type thing, mm. is I'll have different drum parts kind of like saved already. And I'll, start i'll just pick one or i'll pick one i already used in a different song and i'll start writing to that whether i'm on guitar Mm. or doing a keyboard part or something and that helps give it a slightly different feel than what i would come up with if i was just thinking of a part in the shower or like sitting with a guitar and playing it because it at least gives me some uh outside rhythm from outside my own mind Mm -hmm. but um yeah i don't make too many i make some production choices at the beginning and they do kind of guide the sound of the song but i make so many more over time because it's such a slow recording process so i'm doing it all either myself or having other people submit parts that they've recorded Mm. but it's not like i go into the studio for like one week and do everything so there's a lot of like little choices made over time that add up yeah that's cool so are you are you recording all the final versions of things in a studio or do you do it like on your own at home? No, I do it almost all well, I can't say I do it almost all on my own. I do I record all my stuff on my own. Um so I'll record all my guitar, my vocals, um a lot of, you know, almost everything that's not credited to somebody else on the album I'm recording myself it might not all be at home sometimes I'll go somewhere that has like a better sounding room but Mm -hmm. it'll be recorded by me um like uh, my bass player Brian I record him and you know all of that but then there's also a lot of parts where I'll have somebody who lives in another state or another country and I'll send them files and they'll record and send them back and I don't know all the details of how they're recording necessarily so some of those might be in a some kind of studio situation but i think most of it's home recordings and then i'll merge those together with mine to make the mix nice you mentioned earlier before before we were recording this that um Mm -hmm. you started doing more online collaborations once the pandemic happened and so was there kind of like a learning curve of like you're getting these files and you're like, oh, what do I do with them? Or was it kind of, you already had the skills? Mixing wise, the it's not too much of a problem because I had so much experience mixing over the years of mm-hmm. badly recorded stuff of my own. Not saying anyone was sending me badly recorded stuff, but I didn't have any big concerns about that because, I mean, I've done whole albums of stuff that I recorded myself that was badly recorded. So <laughs> if someone sent me something that had like an audio problem, I wouldn't be too worried about fixing it. Um, the big... Um, concern when you're doing stuff like that is that you don't necessarily know the person super well so you have to kind of take a leap of faith on their uh, style of playing and how they're going to sound so usually if I'm working with someone that I haven't worked with before and I mean you would do this if it wasn't remote too is maybe you start on a smaller project where like let's say I was getting a 
tuba player for something. It might be for a song that has a very subtle, small tuba part. And then I get their uh, audio back and I love it. Then maybe I do a song a few months later where I have this big tuba solo that I want them to do. Because now I know that they're going to give me something good. Um, But the audio itself I'm not too concerned with. Also, I can usually hear stuff that these people have already recorded. So Mm. I can trust that they know what'll sound good and that they can do it. Yeah. Have you met new people through this process of kind of reaching out online? Yeah, I've met a lot of people. A lot of the people that I know already, um, I guess it's kind of a mix. People I know already that I've collaborated with tend to be uh, local or at least somewhat local people that I've known from bands around or um, have known for years. Um, So for them, it wasn't a matter of necessarily like meeting them for, you know, and finding out what they could do. It was just, I know who they are. Mm. Do you have some time that you can set aside and do this? Like on the last album, uh, Mike, who I mentioned who I'm in a band with actually, he did bass on one song because my other bass player was playing so much on the other ones and I was under a tight schedule. So I thought, well, I'll give this to Mike. I know he can play this kind of bass part. Well, you know, I had total faith in him. I just sent him the track. He played it and sent it back. Um, But there's stuff like on this album. Let me see the credits here. For instance, oh, the guy, I I know, Steph Haynes, who you interviewed on Mm -hmm. a show. Uh, it wasn't on this album. I've had him play on the um, previous one too, but um, I was introduced to him through uh, Karina, who had played some piano parts on some previous projects. Uh, Karina Fan, and mm-hmm. I asked him if he could add some saxophone to a track that we had on that last album that I thought needed something, and I didn't really know what. I just had this kind of spot that could have stood to be a little crazier, so I said. Why don't you try playing something here? And then he turned in a solo that was really good. So then, uh, you know, a year later, working on the next album, I had a part specifically written for sax that I pretty much needed him to play because (laughs) I didn't know anybody else who could even do it. Um, And the way I wrote it was really kind of dumbed down. Like, I knew he would make it better. And I knew it would sound really good if he did it. And I said, you know, you play whatever you want. You can change this however you want. And and he did it and sent it back. And it was really good. So, you know, I've never met him in real life. Um, but we've worked together on a couple of things now. And it was kind of that same process where at first it was something slightly smaller. And then it was, you know, putting more faith in him because I knew that he could do it. And he wasn't going to do some something that like really clashed with my tastes. I really like that approach of mm-hmm. starting small and then seeing how yeah. how you work with the other person. For a while, I've had almost like like commitment issues with because um, mm-hmm. I wanted to. I really wanted to start playing uh, live shows with other people and collaborating with people. But yeah. in my mind, I thought that like, oh, if I'm gonna like collaborate with someone, like if I'm gonna like start a band, they. Mm-hmm you know, it'd have to be a thing where it's like, you know, they'd have to commit to doing it for a long time. Right, and then yeah. I realized I'm like, oh, I could just ask someone to do a, like one show and just 
do the and mm-hmm. sort of see how see how things yeah. go and that's been that's been working out well because it's easier for people to commit to mm-hmm. one show than to commit to i don't know like weekly rehearsals or something yeah i mean you don't know how it's gonna go it's it's good to yeah. like do like a first date kind of thing and and dip your toe in and see mm-hmm. see how it goes um and I mean, with music, especially with recorded music, you can usually, if you listen to stuff people have played on, you can hear mm-hmm. if they are going to have a a style or or if they have taste that aligns with you. Um, and you can get a pretty good idea of that just from what they've done. I mean, there's plenty of people that I've I've heard and I immediately thought, no, like just like. <laughs> like doing auditions they don't they don't even know about because you know i'll see somebody i'm like well you know i could ask them let me listen and 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 hear it and then it's just playing things that just totally aren't what i would want and i think Mm -hmm. okay well i'm i'm not going to pursue that and playing live even more so if you're going to have people playing with you you, (laughs) not only do they have to have the right style but you have to get along with them and you know be willing to carry gear with them Mm. oh yeah the gear carrying struggle is so real. <laughs> How did your the way that you record and release songs? How has that changed over the years? Um, well, when I started, I did a lot of really. I'm when I said by by started, I'm just gonna say when I started doing my solo stuff because we did a lot of band releases that. Um, I can barely even remember how we made these decisions. And even the early decisions that we made in, in my, with my solo music were kind of dumb. I mean, my first <laughs> album was, you know, I barely finished the, it in time. It was on CD. So, you know, we got the CDs back and I had like a December, it's like December 10th or something release date. It's like nobody's listening to music and like new music in the middle of December. I should have just mm-hmm. waited and done it. A few months later, had more time to promote, you know, get in that cycle of being so excited that you don't actually set aside time to to market it or promote it and then nobody hears it. uh, So it was a more of like an album-y thing. I did an album a year later from that that I think I got it out earlier in the year, but it was still very much, okay, the album's done, let's do the release show. And that's pretty much the extent of the promotion. Now I am much more in the cycle of I've got to have things done months early if I can or, you know, early enough that I can start promoting it because I actually want people to hear it. Um, I try to put out things on a more regular basis so that I'm not disappearing for a year and a half, you know, from people's lives. Um, And I try to have multiple projects going at any one time. So... Like, let's say I have a, an acoustic album and an electronic album and a, and a rock album. Maybe I'll have all three of those going slowly at the same time so that there will be something coming out at some point soon rather than going back to zero after every release. Uh, that's all been pretty helpful. And I try not to release things in December anymore. <laughs> Even <laughs> Christmas music, you got to put Christmas music out in November. Nobody's yeah. listening to things at the end of the year. What's the earliest that you would put out Christmas music? So I'm, I'm asking this because 
uh, a band that I like put mm-hmm. out like two Christmas songs or like a Christmas album sometime in November or early and I just I didn't listen to it because I just wasn't ready for Christmas music at that time well, yeah I mean personally if I was doing another I do have I should have I'm not promising but I should have like a holiday song coming out um in a few weeks but um I'm not sure if I was like putting a bunch of money into recording and releasing another Christmas album I don't know I might do it in October which sounds crazy maybe not October because people are so into like spooky season but like right after I'd probably do early November because Mm. um even though people might not want to all listen at the release date the uh, and you're lucky you're asking me about this because I have all this Christmas music experience. <laughs> the uh, the even though people might not want to be listening right away, the good thing about Christmas music is that you have all that time before Christmas people want to listen to it, and right up until Christmas they'll want to listen to it. So, and then they'll stop. Right, yeah. they're never going <laughs> to listen again until like next November. So, you, what you would ideally want to do if you had like a big Christmas album you were putting out is put it out early enough that it's not like ludicrous but to give yourself as much of that pre-christmas time Mm -hmm. for people to listen and also if you're out in like early november you can get on like playlists or like uh christmas uh you know best christmas songs of the year lists stuff like that Mm -hmm. because people do go to those websites and there aren't that many of them like christmas music blogs and stuff like that um so it's a kind of a manageable pool of of people to market to. So, yeah, I think I would do early November, but I think I would have tracks for like uh for lack of a better term, like Christmas music influencers to listen to like in September and October. Maybe not to like publicly release, but mm-hmm. just to have it ready. So when you do your Christmas album. Yeah. <laughs> I would have it done recording and <laughs> have it done recording in like August because nobody's going to listen to it after mm. Christmas. You got to get everything yeah. done, but they might listen to it every year after that. That's the other bonus. That just gave me a flashback to when, when I was a kid, I was really into making uh, homemade Christmas cards and I would oh, want to yeah. make it to every single person I knew. And so I'd be mm-hmm. there in like in summer just making Christmas cards <laughs> for, for my friends. And my yeah, family. you gotta plan. I mean, with any kind of music release, you really have to plan it kind of like that. Uh, yeah. You have to, you don't have to, I guess, but you, if you want it to be like as successful as possible, you have to be thinking months in advance. Like, mm-hmm. I tend to think backwards. So I think, like, well, if this is gonna come out in, um, let's pick a release date at rant, like July 15th then you know i want to get it out to like spotify and all those places june 15th if i want to do that then the artwork and the mastering has to be done by then so the mixes should be done by let's say may 15th and if that's true then the recording has to be done by whenever let's say april 15th with tax day so uh if that's the case then i'll have to be recording by this date or whatever and i'll have to start writing at this date so you're really thinking like however long it takes you to work but like a year in advance or nine months or six months in advance and it doesn't sound like fun and spontaneous when you put it that way but that 
is a good way to guarantee that you can kind of stay on top of if you have to do it all yourself you know actually getting it into people's ears yeah um and you're talking about uh submitting to playlists how mm -hmm. how does that whole process work oh i have tried different ways of marketing and i've watched other people do it too um, and playlists can be very helpful for people if you get on the right ones um and they can get you a lot of plays but i actually de-emphasized in my own music playlists because i find that often it's kind of like um uh empty calories unless you're on the right ones like I, i've been on a few good uh christmas music ones speaking of christmas music that are curated by like people who really know what they're doing and it feels really good to be on those playlists because you think oh they you know they picked me and it's an honor to be on there and i'm getting listens from people who like this kind of thing but if you're like going through you know, companies that you don't even know and just kind of blind submitting to different places. It can get you a lot of plays, but one thing you'll see, like if we're talking about Spotify, is that um, you might get a lot of plays, but you won't necessarily get a lot of people coming back for your other songs or mm -hmm. following you because people are listening to a playlist like while they work out or on a car ride and they're not looking, even looking at the phone, you know, they don't know who you are necessarily. Um, so I, if, if I'm giving advice to other people, I would say, don't put all your eggs in one basket of playlists. Cause even though it's, it's fun to get all those plays for like a, a week or a month or however long they leave you there, it might not get you like fan fans, mm. depending on the playlist on some playlists it it probably will, but then you're going to have to like really put in work to try to figure out what those playlists even are. Yeah. So what has been the most successful marketing strategy for, for yourself that you found? Um, well, it depends. Uh, if you're talking about success, like getting fans who actually like want to listen to the music, um, probably, a combination of uh, promotion on like uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, different social media places like that, um, combination of doing ads and, you know, staying active on there and making sure that you are making music that there's at least some people who want to hear it, which I've, bef I've forgotten to do before. <laughs> you can make music that nobody wants to hear. Uh, and that can take a long time, but when those people find you, they, you know, they really like you. They like all the music that you do and they'll keep paying attention and following you. Uh, the other part of it is for actually like trying to make your money back if you, which is, you know, difficult to do if you're not playing shows is doing stuff like uh bandcamp and uh like selling cassettes or cds or stickers or anything like that um 
you can still use different kinds of social media to get fans there, but it's almost like a different kind of fan sometimes. Like I have some fans who I don't think would ever spend a penny on my stuff, but they'll listen every day on Spotify, which after a year will get me a penny. So I guess they do. One penny. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> but then if you have a small amount of fans who will go on to your band camp or whatever, and they'll buy one thing when you put an album out, maybe they'll buy a CD for $10. You don't need that many of them to start actually like having it pay for your mastering, pay for your, uh, all whatever merchandise costs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you, at least for me, it's good to balance both of those audiences, uh, because it is exciting to have fans who really like your stuff and listen to it all the time. Um, but you also want to make sure that at least some of them like your stuff, listen to it all the time and want to buy a t-shirt, you know? Yeah. So as someone who does their recording themselves and all the production and things, how how is your budget organized? And like what what sort what baskets are you putting your eggs in in terms of budget? For the self-recording stuff, I'm very cheap. So I'll I just use my regular laptop. I use Reaper, which is like a $60 yeah, $60 piece of software, which is great. Uh, I use like the same guitar on everything. I'm not really a gearhead. Um, I use the same few microphones on everything. I borrow equipment if I have don't have something that I need. So the recording part is almost free, or it's like the cost of a small hobby. Uh, I do pay somebody to master. Uh, his name is Scott Craggs. He's a good mastering engineer if you need anything mastered um and then i'll pay for the um any physical copies or promotional things like stickers as i said or whatever posters whatever you're making um and then there's a bunch of stuff you have to pay for like web hosting and stuff like that that is not fun to pay for Um, my goal with my budget is generally, I want to make sure anything that's like a big, um, one-time payment, like mastering and pressing CDs or cassettes or whatever is pays for itself. So I'll try to have all those merchandise, um, costs, but yeah, I'll try to have all those merchandise costs paid back by people buying it. You know, fingers crossed that they actually do. That at this point, that usually works out for me. Stuff like the like monthly, uh, whatever bills, like for web hosting and stuff, I just don't think about. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like the cost of of uh, doing this for fun, I guess. So I'm not great at budgeting it. And then things like doing music for podcasts where I might get paid for like a job here and there. Mm. I, you know, I'll keep track of that for like taxes, but I don't know if this is answering the question you were asking at all, but I, when, when I am budgeting for these things, I always think like, if it's like making t-shirts or something like that, I always think, can I actually make the money back on this? Mm. 
can I sell enough of these CDs to pay for making these CDs? Can I sell enough tapes to pay for making these tapes? Um, if it's something like a uh, whatever service that you have to pay for on an annual basis or something like software that you have a subscription to, that I'll be thinking more like, is this uh, a wise <laughs> financial decision just for my regular monthly pool of payments that I'm making anyway? But I, I won't try to. I won't think like, well, I have to sell five more CDs this month, you know, to sell to pay for the website or something like that. I realize that was that was quite rambling, but no, no, it's it's all good. <laughs> Personally, I find it really interesting to sort of hear about other people's. His mentalities in terms of funding their music. I, I don't, for I just know for me, when I when mm-hmm. I first put out music, I had no idea what things cost or what things were supposed to cost, and so it was a learning experience for me. And I think there were some things I ended up paying too much money for, and other right. things I could have invested in. And so it's just I I enjoy hearing about other people's experiences. Well, one thing I will do is I'll take um, mentally, I don't necessarily write this all down, but I'll, I'll be thinking like weighing one thing against another. So I think, well, if there's $200 there and I could spend it on um, whatever this, uh, making a batch of t-shirts, let's say, and selling them, or I could spend it on marketing this music. That is something I will do where I'll I'll try to, balance two things i'm like well on one hand the t-shirts will could pay for themselves and on the other hand i don't want to put up the music and have it not get marketed so what am i going to do and ideally what happens is you make t-shirts you sell enough of them that you make 200 more dollars and then you use that to market the music and mm-hmm. and then you're fine and you've made all your money back and you've gotten something out of it but it doesn't always work out like that so you have to be careful yeah I noticed for your promo campaign for your for your recent album, there mm-hmm. is a lot of artwork that you were posting on social media. Mm-hmm. Was it did you draw that or did someone else draw like how how was that created? Depends on what artwork you're talking about. Some of the artwork I drew, some of it is just uh AI crap that oh. if it's something that I only need to use once and it doesn't matter if it really looks good up close, I'll do that. Um, and some of it's stuff that I've, I've done in the past, or maybe I made a quick alteration to, um, in my day job I do, um, I like work with Photoshop all day Oh, cool! and I do all the art for my albums and stuff like that. So, um, I do have a lot of art just kind of lying around, but also if I'm doing quick stuff just for like Instagram and I need a piece of artwork on that, I will use like... AI art just to like fill in the gaps to have mm. new stuff to post but that's I won't it's not, not a bad idea <laughs> no I mean like I know f- like for your kind of stuff like with your aesthetic if you just needed a piece of art you could say like you know um, like origami butterflies flying <laughs> and and you know you get a piece of art that you never have to look at again it might not be high enough quality to use on an album and it might not be high enough quality to, uh, you know, like turn into an ad campaign, but for one Instagram post. Yeah. Also, I guess the advantage that I have just from 
the uh, things that I know how to do, like in Photoshop or whatever, is that if I get a, something back from it that has a mistake or something that I don't like, I can just go in and redraw it mm -hmm. and repaint it and fix it, which doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. Yeah. My limits in Photoshop is I know how to cut things out. I can be so patient <laughs> in cutting out the the image. <laughs> I Photoshop my album art though. Oh yeah. Which I never done before. Yeah. With the the butterflies coming out of the guitar. Yeah, graphic design stuff is a good uh skill for musicians to have because usually if you are if you are a person who has like the uh kind of mind where you're thinking about music all the time you probably have visual preferences too so you probably have some kind of taste there so getting at least an idea of how to do some basic graphic design stuff can mm -hmm. be can be useful yeah even if it's to create a mock-up to give to someone else right <laughs> right yeah not not all musicians do but there is a lot of crossover you know where you probably at least have opinions on album art hmm. yeah there's usually a vision that I guess the person who wrote the music knows what inspired it and what they want mm -hmm. to be shown in the mm -hmm. artistic, like the visual representation. Right. We talked about managing budget. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm also wondering how you, how you manage your time and the time that you allocate to music, especially when you're, when you're working a day job. How, how do you keep engaged with your with your art and your music? I'm pretty good at making time to work on this stuff. The trickiest part for me is how much time I have to spend doing um, marketing mm -hmm. and doing promotion and even just at the basic level of like replying to people who write to me on Instagram or whatever, you know, which is important to do. Like if someone comments on something on Facebook, oh, I really love the album. It sounds great then I'm going to go every single day and go reply to those people. But it does take up a ton of time that I could be working on music. So you do have to like uh, set aside time. Usually what I'll do is just like big picture. I'll, I'll think, okay, well in December or in January or whatever, I'm going to write a bunch of demos and I'm going to prioritize that. And then... I need to get whatever mixing done by by March. So I'm going to make sure that I get that stuff done. And then any other time that I have uh, to work on this stuff will probably be spent like, uh, you know, submit putting up YouTube videos, making lyric videos, replying to people and all that stuff that like a PR team would do for, for a bigger artist. As far as like balancing it with work or other parts of life, I think it's tricky but if it's something you really want to do you'll probably find time for it like um right around when i did my first solo album which was called wizard planet i remember that year i like put a bunch of effort into finishing it on time i wanted to have it done within a year i spent i worked really hard on it and i wasn't playing as many video games as i normally did because i was like oh, i've got to work on the album i got to do the music I'll do video games after. And then the album came out and I think it was some Zelda game came out that year. And <laughs> then I played it after the album came out. And I was like, 
this is fine, but it was kind of like more fun doing the album than it was playing the game at the end. So I've kind of found it's not that hard to just not do the time suck things that I normally would be doing because I'd rather be uh, making the music or doing the art or doing that stuff. So if it's something that you really want to do, you can not not necessarily everybody on earth like if you have to work three jobs to support your family maybe you can't do this but for me you know just working one job and doing this music it's not that bad mm-hmm. i just find i make the time you know if i have to stay recording stuff after work you know from 8 p.m to 1 in the morning recording things i'll do it and it'll get done i find my my issue right now is balancing me doing a lot of the marketing stuff mm-hmm. with um, spending time to sit down and, and write. Yeah. I have so many half songs on my phone. <laughs> well, for me, what I find is helpful with that, I think, is doing... Like I said, I usually finish like a demo in one session, but that's kind of under understating it is usually what I'll do is I'll do like three demos in an afternoon or something mm. and then I'll do three more a couple of days later and, three, and you know so you I work up a lot of bones or skeletons of songs pretty quickly and then if I have a bucket of these uh, I it's hard to say whether they're half finished or a quarter finished or whatever but these song skeletons I could probably live off that for a year or two years just finishing them up when I can. So, I mean, different people work different ways. But for me, if I have all these songs that are in some state of doneness that I can return to when I can't necessarily devote time to like starting from scratch, but I can spend an hour, you know, fixing up a bass part or like editing drums or something, mm-hmm. then I'll do that. So there's always something moving. Yeah, it's definitely so much easier to to work on something that's already in motion. Mm-hmm. When you are learning how to produce and how to mix and more of mm-hmm. the, the tech stuff, uh, is there anything interesting that you learned that helped, like from just from a technical level that helped make your process just go more smoothly, a bit more streamlined? I mean, there are like a million little things that you can learn, Um, you know, like how to record bass guitar, whether you want to have it be like direct and what kind of EQ you want to use on it or, you know, how to record different guitar things, like too many things to even recall. (laughs) I mean, there's so many things, but I think the main helpful thing to me has been um, treating it like... I don't want to say like it's something I have to do, but having, but finishing things is Mm. very important. So like, um, I'll say, well, I want to have an album out by, you know, September. And then I want to have another one out by the following September. And then when you start planning what you have to do and then sticking to it and actually finishing it will force you to learn how to get things done and give you a, sense of confidence that when you listen to it and it doesn't sound good that you know you will be able to f- 
fix it in time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've put out, I've released things that I don't think sound good. Um, so, you know, that doesn't necessarily work, but <laughs> I think I keep getting better at doing it because I keep learning things because I keep going through the process from beginning to end over and over and over. And if you get caught like at the beginning or stuck in the middle where you don't actually finish it, I think that prevents you from learning as many lessons as you could. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a, being a, you know, a professional producer who's producing a dozen records a year does their role so many times over that they, you know, they become good at it. But if you're a independent musician doing everything yourself, the only way to really do that is just do it yourself over and over and over again. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever doubted your abilities or just yeah. doubted your music? And... Yeah. All the time. Um, I, yeah. I still how do, you do admit, all the time. How do you manage that? Um, well, I think it's important to, one thing I, uh, Brian Church is my bass player. Uh, we talk a lot after, like we'll record, he does background vocals for me too. So we'll do a lot of recording like at night in a quiet place where then we'll, there's like a long drive back home. So we do a lot of music talking. And one thing that we've talked about is that I think not in, this is something that happens a lot with them. Not, not necessarily local musicians, but like, you know, musicians at like kind of like a local level who, uh, are just starting out. They don't really listen to themselves. I don't know if that's a good way to put it where what they think they're doing is not what they're actually doing. Um, and this can happen with anybody. I don't want to single out like any particular kind of musician, but, uh, you, and this happened to me, this still happens to me, but it definitely happened to me a lot in my earlier years where I thought I was putting out an album with these huge sounding guitars and like, it sounded great. Like all these other albums I liked, but it really didn't. It's like a delusion. And I can go back and listen to that and I can hear that now. And I think the big difference is you have to be able to hear that and think, okay, well, how am I going to fix that and make it closer to what I want it to be? You know, rather than just feeling bad about it or being deluded about it and not noticing. (laughs) So if you, and it's always, it's a tough struggle because if you sing a part and you listen back and you think it sounds bad you can either redo it or you can live with it and Mm. or maybe you can find some other way to fix it but there's not that many different things you can do but it's just important to have like a clear vision of what you're actually doing what it actually sounds like how you could change that if you should change that and uh, and how far is it from what you want it to be? Um, and that can be, you know, that can be emotionally difficult and it's actually difficult to figure out how to, how to change things and how to fix them. But you can't really start doing that until you really hear what you're doing Mm -hmm. and be able to think like, well, why doesn't this sound like this other band that I like? What's the difference? And it might be as simple as like, oh, you have to turn the drums up. (laughs) But you wouldn't have, 
notice that unless you really listened. And I think that is uh, a valuable thing to do and can help you get out of the feeling of just being like, well, I'm not good, so I should just <laughs> give up. Because it really might be something simple that you can do. Yeah. Or maybe it's like there's a note that you shouldn't be trying to sing anymore. Maybe your voice sounds better in a certain register or or things like that. And it can be tough to admit it. But then when you do, you can sound so much better. Yeah. Yeah, it can be hard to let go of what we think we are mm -hmm. um, or what we think we sound like. Whether or not yeah. that's we think we sound great or we think we sound like garbage. Mm -hmm. it, it's hard to... It's hard to let go and kind of see ourselves for what we actually are. Yeah, and especially important for if you're a, an independent musician who's recording yourself and mixing yourself and you don't have somebody standing there telling you, like a wise producer telling you, well, you should be singing this up an octave or you should be doing this or that. You have to mm -hmm. really be able to listen to yourself, critique yourself and not, not lose all your confidence, but also not be so confident that you put out something subpar. Yeah, I've definitely had the experience of like if I were to record something on my own, mm -hmm. I will do so many takes of like different parts just to get it how I want. But then when I'm recording, if I'm recording with a producer and I'm paying for it that time, I don't have the luxury to <laughs> record the same three second section a yeah. hundred times. But then it ends up, it ends up being fine if not better mm -hmm. when i when i i guess i guess it has some i guess it's just having someone else there to to be like yep yeah, that's good and mm -hmm. trusting that mm -hmm. i mean as long as you can it's hard to know who to trust yeah, but if oh you can goodness, yeah. if you can find people that you trust what they say and that they would tell you if something didn't sound good then that's a very valuable thing to have because uh it's you know, obviously it's important if they tell you, you know, this chorus is not good. You have to change that. But also if they say this chorus is good, then you can think, all right, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. How do you deal with burnout? I don't really get burned out much because I, I have so many. How am I going to phrase this? Like when if you're just talking about music as a whole or music and art or anything like that. I'm not doing the same thing over and over and over again. Like mm. I said before, you know, I'm doing this social media stuff or I'm recording things or I'm writing things. And I haven't really, like for writing, I haven't had a big writing session for almost a year now. Like when I was, or more than that, for maybe like a year and a half when I was finishing up the previous Halloween album. So when I get back into that, it's going to be, you know, kind of fresh. Mm. And... um mixing and recording I'm even though it seems like a lot I'm putting out maybe one song a month if you average it out so it's not that it's not like every single day I'm yeah. adjusting bass levels you know I'm not going into the office spending eight hours like working on bass levels and then going home so I don't really get burned out on it it might be different if i was going on like a 12 month world tour playing the same songs mm. every night and then i needed a break but for me it's actually a lot of different activities yeah that i'll do at different times it's cool so i guess like there's there's a balance and and i'm, I'm assuming because you're doing it on your own you have the freedom to 
adjust if you're like okay i've been i've been doing this one activity for for like i don't know a week or something i'm gonna switch to this and then come back to it yeah the worst the times when i feel closest to it being a a burnout scenario would be when if i have like a 12 song album or something that i'm trying to finish the mix for and i need to have the mix finished in two weeks and that's always the most excruciating part for me is that last what seems like the last like five percent of the mix which actually just takes so much time because that's where you notice every little tiny thing that you have to fix and it's not really creatively fulfilling because you're you're going back and like editing the how uh, the sustain on like a violin is at the very end of a a fade out or something yeah. that nobody will ever notice except for you and that's probably the worst but again that doesn't happen all that often because um you know I'm I'm not putting out a big album every single month so yeah most things I can just do piecemeal. Like I do a little of this thing, you know, maybe I'll make a lyric video one day and then the next day I'm going to um, update my bio or whatever. And the next day I'll actually write a song. And You know, it's it's different stuff. Mm-hmm. When you're in those final stages of the mixing process, uh, mm-hmm. so I assume by, that by this point you've listened to these same... 12 songs mm-hmm. so many times um so you were talking about really listening to yourself like how do you really listen to your your mixes and know that it's done or that like you know what you want to adjust well what i do is i'm going to use some kind of arbitrary uh percentages here but let's say i get the mix to like 80 percent done um at that point maybe i have like a notebook where i'm writing down everything I think I need to fix on a song. So, you know, song A here, and I'll write down, uh, yeah, I'm not sitting at the computer. Maybe I'm listening like on my headphones, like on a walk. I'll write down, turn up bass, uh, snare to uh, shrill, um, maybe add doubled vocal on second chorus, or stuff like that. So I'll make notes like that. I'll go through, next time I sit down, I'll make all of those adjustments. And then I will go back and listen again. And then I'll find new things. So I'll think, you know, now bass is too loud or whatever. And then I'll go back and I'll make all of those adjustments. And then I'm getting this track up to like 95% done. And at that point, I'm just listening, comparing to other songs. And it's hard to even like write down. Maybe maybe every time I open it, I turn the guitars up and then I turn them down and then up and then down and then at a certain point there's like really nothing left to fix um even if maybe you you'd revisit it in six months and think oh you know i should have done this differently like at the time i think you kind of just know um that you've gotten it close enough but that is the point where you're also looking for just the most ridiculous things like if there's like a little pop on a microphone you never heard before that's where i'll go oh like i'll solo all the tracks and listen to the you know, all the vocals, make sure there's no weird sounds I missed. I'll listen to stuff like that. And that's where it gets a little excruciating. And those very last percentages of finishing it off where the mix is pretty much done, but there might be like a little bit of static that you never even noticed before, but you have to check for it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you're sitting there listening to the backing vocals for five minutes just <laughs> by themselves to make sure there's nothing there. And then once all that stuff's done, and then you mix that down, and then you listen again, and it sounds okay, then it's probably done. Yeah. That's interesting because it's, it's kind of like you're giving notes to your producer, mm-hmm. but, it's, but you're the producer. So yeah, you no, you have to. I have to do that because you can't. I can't keep it all in my head at one time. Yeah, and then, and then it gives you the opportunity to sort of write down your list of what needs to be adjusted, and then mm. take some time away from it before you actually go in it. Right, and also I have to listen on different headphones and speakers. Mm. So I might listen on like earbuds, and I'll listen on you know nicer headphones, and I'll listen on different kinds of speakers. And I'll yeah. take notes for all of them, but I'll keep in mind, you know, I know on these speakers, the bass is going to be a little too loud. And I know on these earbuds, as long as I can hear the kick drum, it's fine. <laughs> but, um, and I'll keep all of those in mind. So I'm going to try to make them sound like good music on every different kind of uh, listening uh, experience that I can, I can do. Yeah. So we're down to our last two questions. Um, so the first mm-hmm. one is, when you are beginning your journey as an artist, is there like a resource or a piece of advice that you wish you had at that point that you know now? Yeah, probably. Um, I, I mean, I often wish that I just had known like everything about recording or writing that I do now but if i'm thinking of like basic things um there's so many little things that i wish but like overall i guess i just could wish i could make myself really really listen to the recordings as we made them and um give them as m- it's really hard to say because we spent so much time on some of these old older records that now I feel like I could take one afternoon and mix them better, <laughs> but I don't exactly know why. So maybe the advice I would give myself would just be like, do more stuff faster <laughs> to get to uh, a higher level faster. Like do, mm-hmm. you know, do 10 singles as fast as you can because I want you to learn about EQing and all of these things um, early. And I guess another thing I would say is like plan when you're planning the music, also plan how you're going to get people to listen to it so that when it comes out, you know, maybe people will listen to it uh, rather than doing the whole thing getting the final product in your hands and then thinking, well, okay, now what do I do? (laughs) Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, What you were saying about getting, doing more things and finishing Mm -hmm. them faster. um, I think that's really good advice because I I think, I don't, I don't know if you relate to this, but like for those of us with who are like have perfectionist tendencies, Mm -hmm. it can be so easy to spend a long time on a project I find with I've I've found that with myself when I spend a long time like let's say I'm making like a cover or something and I'm mixing it on my own if Mm -hmm. I spend too long on it my I'll learn a lot of I'll I'll learn a lot throughout that process and then 
it's like by the time I get to the end of it, some things that the some elements of it are like really good, and then some others are really bad, and then it makes me want to just like go back and redo it all, where、yeah. I can just like finish it and then start something new and make that even better.、Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, I I do have some perfectionist tendencies too, but what I try、yeah. to do to stop that is to. I try to have deadlines. I always try to give、mm. myself deadlines. I, it's always a situation where I think, and it's helpful with like this Halloween music stuff is that there really is a deadline. Like if it, <laughs> if it doesn't come out by like mid October, then it's going to come out a year later. And like, do I want that to happen? No. So to have the deadlines in your mind, and you know you have to have it done by a certain date, rather than、uh, rather than thinking, well, you know, I can. I can add piano at some point, and I could add、uh, a new guitar at some point, and then it just drags on and on.、Um, you don't want it to be like this is the same kind of way I am about like traveling, like which might sound funny, but I know a lot of people who say things like, "Well, you know, one day I'd like to get to see England, but you know what?" And it's not like these people couldn't; they just. Never actually sit down and plan the trip.、Mm -hmm. Whereas when I go places, I think, well, I'm gonna, I have to go somewhere this spring. I'm definitely gonna do it. Okay, now where can I go? You know, how can I make that happen? I mean, I'm not rich. So I'll just so I'll look to try to find like a deal to get somewhere. And where can I, where can I afford to stay in a hotel? And where can I see? And then that's how I'll end up visiting different places. And it's the same with, you know, making music or making art or whatever. Think like. I need to get my next song done.、Um, how can I make that happen?、Mm -hmm. And it has to be done next month. <laughs> and it might not be like one hundred percent the greatest thing that you could have done, but it probably will be like ninety-five percent as good as you can have done, and it will be done. Yeah. And then you can do the next one, and it will be better. Yeah, and it just feels good to have finished things. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. It's not easy to to make stuff. No, <laughs> it's really it's really hard to to get it like finished too. That's the annoying、yeah. thing. It's really easy to get it mostly finished, and it's really hard、yeah. to do the the very last bit. Oh yeah. So last question is:、mm -hmm. Do you have any music recommendations? Do I? Well, I mean, I like a lot of different music, but I, on a show like this, I'm going to promote my friends because. That's what I'm gonna do.、Um, the, the guy I was talking about, I'm in a band with.、Uh, I'm in a band called Hex Map with him, and he, excuse me, his his name is Mike Gintz, and he does electronic music under the name Mute City.、Um, and he just did a show a couple months ago that was at the、um, Planetarium in our Science Museum, where it was like、uh, he was playing his music, and then there were. Projections that a different artist did, like up on the dome of the planetarium, that you could watch, and that was really fun. So, so、cool. his stuff is up on his stuff is up on like Bandcamp, and it's on like YouTube.、Um, mm -hmm. Mute City, which is also the name of a track in a video game, so you're gonna have to search for like Mute City <laughs> electronic music or Mute City Bandcamp or something. But there's that.、Yeah. There's also.、Um, Another guy who has remixed some stuff for me recently, 
also does electronic music um, under the name uh, Killer B Relay Team. And he did a project recently where he set up like solar panels and some other sensors in his backyard with some um, blackberry bushes. And then he had those control the um, settings on some synthesizers. And he put out, or I think it's coming out like next week, actually. There's a album he's doing that's 12 hours long called oh, Blackberry wow. Jam, where it's just <laughs> all of these synthesizer tracks controlled by whatever those sensors picked up. And as part of that, like he has a Patreon because he does um, electronic music on Switch, uh, not Switch, on Twitch. Um, and mm. he did, I think, 12 jars of the actual Blackberry Jam made from those berries. <laughs> to sell with the album so he has that kind of I love killer b relay team and it's called blackberry jam um let me see if there's anybody else i know has something coming out right now um oh and uh there's also a a woman named uh rainy who did a lot of stuff on this last album of mine she played a lot of percussion and she played uh some like alto clarinet and did some backing vocals she did a lot of stuff and she has a band called sapling um that put out an album this year they're kind of like a i mean they're like a art rock band i guess you would call them and you can i think they're on Bandcamp too they're probably like sapling.bandcamp.com or sapling band or they're from massachusetts <laughs> so you can use that information to google it um or go to my Instagram or my Facebook because I'm always linking to those guys. But they put Not out a sure. new album too, so that's a good one to check out. Hey, that's awesome. Well, I'm so happy that we, we finally got to do this. Thank you so much for being on the yeah. podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is really fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bedroom Studios podcast. Don't forget to add this podcast to your playlists and to like and follow. You could do that on Instagram, YouTube, and Spotify at Bedroom Studios Podcast. I will also be linking our guests' social media in the description. You should definitely check out their music. And lastly, don't forget to follow our playlist of guest music recommendations. It will be updated every time a new episode of the podcast is released. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Bedroom Studios podcast, and I hope to see you in the next one. Bye!